It's down in your verse 2. He writes to Timothy, My dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's just commit our time to the Lord and we'll come to the word. Father, again in this afternoon we commit our time to you in your word. We thank you for your word. We pray you'll speak to us, encourage us and bless us with the ministry of your spirit in our hearts, enlighten our minds, open our eyes and strengthen us in faith in you. May we trust on the enduring grace of God to establish us firmly with you as our eternal foundation that you will keep us from falling, that you will preserve us unto your heavenly kingdom, that we look forward to the day when we can see you face to face, nothing between. We thank you for the time we have had here. We thank you for the fellowship, the refreshing we have experienced. And we thank you, Lord, that you will in the future guide us. We need you. Lead us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, minister to us continuously in your presence amongst your people as we see the day approaching, Lord. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but encourage one another, the more so as we see the day approaching. Commit our time to you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. We have a threefold statement by Paul. Three words are used. <coughs> Common to a lot of his epistles. Grace, mercy and peace. <coughs> when I'm in Fiji, they have a word Loloma. Loloma covers <laughs> grace, mercy and peace. <laughs> Alright? So I have questions. My questions was, to me Loloma means more than just grace. Right? That's all I understand. So how do I understand these words which we, we take in so easily? What do they really mean? So the easiest way to establish an understanding is ask for the opposites. That's the easiest way to understand something. Have a look at that which is opposite and it throws light on what you really believe. Doesn't it? So we have three words, grace, mercy and peace. What is the opposite of grace? Works. How do you know? <laughs> Take your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 11 and verse 6. Some of you have a King James which is more fully expresses the thought that is here. I have only got an NIV. It says, this is the election God is talking about, his election. If it is by grace, it is not by what? Watch your Bible say. Works. Why? Otherwise, Grace is no more grace. Doesn't that open the whole meaning out? You cannot put works with grace. 
if you do, grace is no more grace. You are fallen from grace, Paul would say in Galatians. You're fallen from grace. So I understand from that that uh, the opposite of grace is works. When we go to the scripture, it blows our mind. It opens out our understanding of grace, doesn't it? What about mercy? What is the opposite of mercy? Wrath, anger, indignation, it's associated with judgment. All through your Psalms, when you go and you're reading your Psalms, King James, uh, we might have in this one, it's got God's faithful love, all right, but you'll see the word is mercy. When we come there, we find the opposite of mercy is God's wrath, God's anger, God's indignation. That is the opposite of mercy. Now he says, grace to you, mercy to you. Now let me explain what you're seeing. I'm going to tell you a story which you already should know. Jesus told a parable and every parable has immense meaning. Every parable. And he told a parable about and we label it the good Samaritan. This is the parable. There was, and the King James, there was a certain man. No name. What's that mean? That's me. That's you you are going to see yourself. I'm looking at myself. There was a certain man. He went down, not up. It's always down. Where did he go down from? He went down from Jerusalem, the city of peace. My back is towards the city of peace and I am heading down. Where am I heading for? Do you know your parable? (laughs) I'm going to question you. I'm going to pull the parable apart. Where is he going? Jericho. What is Jericho in your Bible? The city of destruction, isn't it? It was to be devoted to destruction. So I've turned my back on the city of peace. I'm going down and my end is the city of destruction. I was on that road and so were you. Everyone sitting here. That certain man was me, that certain man was you. And I was going down to Jericho, the city of destruction. What happened to the man who was going down? Ah, he fell among thieves or robbers or whatever you like. True? He just ended up there. And so did I, and so did you. So if he fell among thieves, which is the King James Version, tell me the biggest thief in your Bible. How do you know? The Bible says it. (laughs) Jesus, Jesus describes him as a thief and a robber. So we're dealing with a personage who is an expert at taking things away from anyone else. He is an expert at doing this. He fell among thieves and robbers. 
What did they do to him? Read your parable, if you haven't got it. By the way, it's in Luke 10 if you want to look it up. All right, it may help you in your, my questioning. It's in Luke 10 and it's from verse... Um, got the place all right verse 30 onwards if you've got your bible there luke 10 and from verse 30 onwards all right now he's going down he's fell among thieves robert what did they do to him the first thing what's your bible tell you stripped him what's that mean what it says true they took his covering off him. Tell me when it first happened. Back in the Garden of Eden. You are seeing what has happened to all mankind. We have lost the glory of God. Adam knew he was naked. He lost it. Before that, he was naked. He was unashamed. Why? He was clothed with the glory of God and he could speak face to face with the all-glorious God and there was nothing between. It was perfect fellowship. That is what Adam knew. But the minute he sinned, the covering went. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We don't have it. That's why you're wearing clothes. The fact that you're wearing clothes, the world today would like to take most of them off. True? It shows the state of our thinking. There is no shame, no sense of guilt anymore. So if I go to certain places, it's nude on the beach. But as far as the Bible is concerned, we have lost our covering. And the sense of that is meant to produce shame. Shame before the presence of anyone else. But most of all, shame in the presence of the holiness of God. That I have nothing to cover myself with. I am naked. The Word of God, what does it do? It's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'm stripped, naked before God, exposed for who I really am. And I, he does not like what he sees in me. Out of your heart, he says, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, blasphemies, jealousies, and Jesus lists the lot. That's what I say the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I will give to every man. So we are face to face with this personage who was me. I am looking at my history when I do this through. Fell among thieves. The glory is gone. I did not have it. I have sinned in Adam and I've come short of the glory of God. Now, not only did he get stripped of his clothing, what else does your Bible say Jesus happened to this one? He's beaten and bruised. What's happened to him? Sin has its consequences. Now, many of us do not show them outwardly. 
I have had a student in college. He's now the best evangelist I know in Fiji. He came in. He'd only been to school very little, but he was in Latoka, actually. He picked up a stone because of the jeweler's shop, smashed the glass, reached in for jewels, and the glass fell. Cut him. He's got a scar right down here. All the police did was follow the blood. All right? That's all they had to do. <laughs> they followed the blood. <laughs> and he ended up in prison. But in prison, he came to the Lord. Right? He was one of my students there. But the evidence is on him externally. And today I look and I see people who were, to me, give testimony to the path they are on by putting tattoos on them. All kinds of messages. Some people are covered in tattoos. We have Maoris and I, I looked at even some Australians now with tattoos all over them. My sister-in-law, who was a missionary in Congo, she had to counsel a girl in the, uh, the church to disciple her and this girl, as a Christian, had put tattoos on. And one day she sat with her and she said, tell me, what would you think if someone came into the church and put graffiti all over the walls? Oh, she said, I wouldn't like it. Well, she said, your body is God's temple. He doesn't like it. You, you can't, the problem is, you get them, you can't remove them, mostly. All right? So, what is on the outside marks the pathway people have taken. You can't get rid of some things when you come to the Lord. You carry the memory of what you've done and things like that, but you can't take some things away. You live with them till the day you die. Maybe they'll get a method someday to remove all the tattoos. I don't know. But some of these people who have come to the Lord, we have a lady at home. This fellow had come from prison. He'd been dealing in drugs. He was in for armed robbery and all that and he worked on our farm for five weeks and we sit and have Bible studies and that kind of thing. And uh, one day in town he met this lady, Cindy. And Cindy he used to sell drugs to. And he invited Cindy to the Christmas party this year that is put on so people can come uh, Christmas Eve or whatever it is. And she comes in, sits down at the same table where we are with this fellow. Sitting there, Margaret's talking to her and she's got a black cat tattooed right across, a real black cat, right? Right across above her bosoms here is a big black cat. You can see the black cat. <laughs> so Mar Margaret talks to her and says, uh, she at one point she said, well, why the black cat? Well, she said, my last partner had, uh, what did he have on his initials and his date? And now the one I'm living with doesn't like that on me. So uh, he had a black cat. And so she said, to get rid of the past partner, I had to have three times a black cat put across there. It was black, 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 all right? To blot out the memory of the partner she'd been with. She sat there and she said, how are you? I'm lost. I'm lost. Well... <laughs> last week she asked for baptism water baptism she asked for water baptism so there is remarkable things of your past on some people 
and they will carry it on them. But every one of us carries inside of us the wounds, the bruises, the dealings we have been into. Don't we? When we come to Christ, inside we are carrying things no one else knows about. Memories of what we've done. Things where we now wish we had never done it. There is guilt upon us and the shame of what we've done has risen in our hearts. So we come and your Bible says, beaten, bruised, battered. You mightn't see my works externally, but when I came to Christ internally, there were the marks of my past. And your Bible says this, they left him. Now, you'd better look in your Bible because it's the only place it occurs. What was his condition? Half dead. Now, you can't be. You're either dead or you're alive. You're never half. True? No. Outside of Christ, we're half dead. You say, what do you mean? You eat, you breathe, you walk, you talk, and physically you're alive but you're dead in trespasses and sins. You are half dead. That is the most expressive statement about our condition. Half dead. And there I lay, half dead. My past, I have been through. I didn't reach the city of Jericho, fortunately but I have been in that condition. Now your Bible tells you what happens and it happens to each of us at some time or other. Who came down the same way? Read your Bible. A Levite, he's a priest. You mean the priest is heading to Jericho? This one is. Because he can't do anything. Religion can't save you. He represents the religion of our world. And the priest walks down and he cannot do anything and he passes by on the other side. He's heading for Jericho. He came the same way. Who came next? The Levite. The law. Religion first, then the law. Now if you're half dead, The law can speak, but you're half dead. You cannot do anything. The law can command. Read Romans 7. If you're dead, I don't care what you've done in this world. If you're dead, the police can do nothing with you. They can't get you to pay for anything. You're dead. I am dead to the law by the body of Christ it has nothing more to say because I'm dead and I have been married to another so I can bring full fruit to God why? because I couldn't under the law that's Paul's argument so here the Levite passed by the priest passed by you've still got me lying there they haven't helped me that has been my pathway literally I don't know about your past. I tried to do works. 
I tried to cover over my guilt, the things I had done, by, I'll live better, I won't go do anything more. It has been my effort, I tried. Do you know, the next one coming down was not going the same way. Read your Bible. The priest was, the Levite was, but the next one coming down was not going the same way. But this man was not walking. Tell me how he came to this point. He was riding a donkey. Who's telling the story? So what are you hearing? He would come on a donkey. He would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. So he is the king. He came down and he's on his donkey. Now the Bible tells you what happened. He looked with compassion. Move with compassion. He saw me lying there, half dead. What did he do? According to Bob. He got off his donkey. Did he? He left the glory he had with the Father and he came down into this world as man. He got off that donkey. What was he carrying? Oil and wine. Two things. Oil and wine. He went to where I lay helpless and what did he do? He poured in oil. Tell me, what is oil like in its effects when you've been battered, bruised, beaten like that? What effect does oil have? It's calming, it's comforting, isn't it? And you have got cuts and all kinds of things, infections, all kinds of things like this. What did he pour in? Wine. To us it's natural antiseptic. But here it means much more than that. It's the heavenly antiseptic for sin. It represents the blood of Christ, his work, and the Holy Spirit, his ministry. So you have the Lord Jesus comes to you and it doesn't come drip drip, drip. Your Bible says he pours it in. That is an abundance, an overflowing. Don't limit God in salvation. When you look in the scripture like this, you realize how immense is the work he does in us. Now you've still got marks on you. All he's done is poured in oil, poured in wine. Anyone looking at me can see where I've been if you're discerning. If you're anyone looking at you, they'll see where you've been. What did he do? He didn't leave it there. He bound them up. You can't see what effects. It's, it's hidden now from your eyes and it's hidden from the eyes of others. He bound it up. It's covered. I don't care what you've got in your past. As far as Christ is concerned, it's covered and it's not seen anymore. Whatever people may say, it's covered. He's poured in the oil and the wine and he bound it up. So it's all there and I'm like that. What does he do next? And I, here you're getting Nicholson's um, paraphrase. 
to explain what happens. He lifted him up and he put him on his own donkey. What is he saying? You are now a king, a son of a king. I have put you onto the place where I was sitting. He puts you there. Now I came down from Jerusalem using my own two feet. I went my own way. That's what iniquity is. Every man went his own way. That's why I got to the condition I was in. I followed what I wanted to do. I did what I thought I should do. But it ended me there. And what happened? He put me on his donkey. I am no longer being governed by my feet where I go. I am led. As many as are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. The minute birth takes place, leading also comes. Away from the darkness, away from what I was, into what God wants me to have. Amazing. So he sits him on his donkey and he leads the donkey. Where does he take him to? An inn. In other words, a motel. Right? To explain the sense of what we are seeing, everything is provided. There's a bed, there's rest and everything. And there is someone responsible at the hotel. The inn. So he takes money and he gives it to the man responsible for caring for me and says, look after this man. So he has committed my future care into someone else other than himself. And then he says, if you've got a King James, these are his words. He says, and when I come again, and when I come again, I will pay you back whatever it costs you. What's he saying? Read 1 Peter chapter 5. He speaks to the elders and the pastors and he discerns that you will be rewarded for your faithful shepherding. You have watched a soul pictured for you by the Lord Jesus and his ministry. I think you've detected that already. That story has real meaning. So here I am, this has all happened to me. Now this is in response to a question. Who is my neighbour? So when Jesus has finished the whole thing, he then says, tell me, who was neighbour to the man who fell among the thieves? This is the answer. He that showed mercy to him. He recognised what mercy was. If God has done that to you, this letter is addressed to you as much as to Timothy. Grace, mercy to you. You've received mercy. There are two things about mercy. God shows mercy, and he has. But we must receive mercy. It is not sufficient to know the cross or what took place there, or to know that there God's wrath was expended against human sin, including mine, and God was showing mercy because I should have received all that wrath in myself for my sin. And I understand mercy that the wrath that should have been mine is taken by another. 
That's what he's done. But I learned this. You have to receive mercy. It is not sufficient for God to show mercy. You must receive it. You say, how do you know? Take your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10. We're down in verse 46. Mark 10, verse 46. Let's read through and then I will again take a parable and make it live. Mark 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way or along the road. And by the way, he was heading to Jerusalem and to the cross. He followed him. Now, when you come to this uh, parable or this story that Jesus again told, what's the city? Jericho. Where is the man? just outside. What's that mean? He's about reached the end. Talk about darkness. He's blind. Jericho is just ahead of him. Like the thief on the cross. About to expend and finish his life in darkness with no light. And he's sitting there. What's his name? What's the name of this beggar? blind Bartimaeus Bar son of Timaeus the unclean what's that mean? it's me unclean in my sin I am unclean before the eyes of a holy God so he's sitting there blind his name tells you he is son of the unclean tell me are you living in a flesh and blood body? You came from Adam. You came from Adam and so did I. I am son of the unclean. By one man, sin entered this world and death by sin. So I am son of the unclean. I'm sitting just outside the city of destruction. And as I sit there, there is a commotion. We can put a couple of gospels together and we begin to get an amazing picture there is a commotion and this blind man cannot see anything all he hears what's happening so the question is what's happening so what do they answer him he detects some things are going on around him 
But what is happening? What is the answer? You must stick to your Bible because you will never get its riches till you stick to the words you're reading. What was the answer of the crowd? What's your Bible tell you? Who was passing by? Crowd's all there, but who's passing by? Jesus. But there's more than just Jesus. Who's passing by? By the crowd, who's passing by? Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. What are they saying? The man from Nazareth, who calls himself a prophet, is passing by. And Nathaniel said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It was a despised place. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. That's what they said. And they go eyes. And they can see him. And their crowd's answer to this man is, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. What did he call out? Jesus, son of David. Do you know he could see more than anyone in that crowd? He's blind. But the revelation in his blindness to his heart, unable to see anything, he understands this is the promised ruler on the throne of David in a kingdom that will last forever. The revelation to this Jew sitting there in this condition, the immensity, like the thief on the cross, you get some brilliant acts of God in salvation in our Bible. So he sits there and they tell him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. His cry in a loud voice, Jesus, Son of David! What do I want from you? Mercy! I'm here and I want to receive the mercy you can give. Because Jericho is just there. It's the city of destruction and that's where I'm heading. I know where you're at. I trust you're not that close to Jericho. This man was. And it's interesting because there is a biblical pattern. When God works in our hearts, Satan will do everything to prevent us coming. If you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, you will see he puts it in a vivid picture for our understanding. But here, the Bible says, Jesus says, the crowd said, shut up. Be quiet. And the Bible says, the more they did, the louder he shouted. What's that? Faith under test. Opposition tests the reality of faith. He knew, he believed, this was Jesus. He's the son of David. That's who he is. He's not just Jesus of Nazareth, a man. He's going to fulfill the promises God has made. He's going to sit on the throne of David. There is a kingdom forever and I want his mercy on me. I want to be part of it. And Jesus called for him. Beautiful. Called for him. And the crowd said, Up on your feet. He calls for you. What did he do? 
Now, he had a garment on. He's blind, remember? Just put your... If you want to understand things, make them real. Read it like it happened. There's a crowd and Jesus is in the midst of this crowd. And he says, call him. And so, he stands up, he throws his cloak off. What's he saying? I'm finished with begging. My life is changed at this point. The past I've finished with, he throws his cloak off. No more will I ever be a beggar again. Talk about faith. This man is going to totally change me. I'm blind. I'm a beggar. I have nothing. I've got nothing. So as a beggar, having nothing, he says, I'm finished with this life of mine. Now I have a question. How does a blind man come to another man in the midst of a crowd of people and he can't see? What? They hear my sheep, hear my voice. The gospel comes to you and me as the word of God. This man in his darkness heard the voice. He went by the word. And he came to Jesus. There's no indication. He asked the crowd, please lead me there. Take me there. When he got up, he knew the voice where it had come from and he headed for the voice. And then Jesus said a remarkable thing. What do you want me to do? Can't you see he's blind? Isn't it true? Why does he do that? He must open up communication. He did it in the Garden of Eden. He asked question after question after question. He has done it down through the scriptures. And to this man he, he said, what do you want me to do? I want to have my sight. That means no longer will I be in darkness. I want to see where I'm going. I want to know where I'm going because I have lived in darkness for so long I want my sight. So what happened? When Jesus said in answer to him, Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. What happened to him? He opened his eyes and he saw Jesus as a man. The man, Christ Jesus, who would shed his blood for the sin of his soul. And if you go to King James, he followed him in the way. He was heading to Jerusalem to the cross. And he may never be mentioned in your Bible. But I think he was an observer of the event. Because your Bible says he followed him in the way. And Jesus was heading to the cross. What's it mean? Mercy? Your Bible says, peace to you, mercy to you. And the scriptures indicate to me plainly, he's speaking to believers, mercy has been shown by God to you and me. Mercy has to be received. And I was blind. I was the son of the unclean. I descended from Adam and I was in darkness. 
and I was heading for Jericho. And God intervened with a revelation who Jesus really is. My eyes were opened and I came on the grounds of his word. Have you been to Christ on the grounds of his word? It's not your feelings. It is his word that you're going to trust. It's this word that you're going to trust that speaks about him, that tells us all about him. It's him we trust, but the word tells us who we trust and why we trust. With God, mercy is very important. I like the King James in the words of it he uses. It says words taught by the Holy Spirit. And one of those words which we never use today, I don't think, is the word propitiation. All right, and it occurs three, four times in your, your um, New Testament. But that word is loaded with meaning. John uses it in, in his first epistle. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And then he covers the love of God. He, he is the propitiation for our sins. He's touching on the nature of God's love. Then you go back to Romans and you hear the same wording. He is the propitiation for our sins. But the NIV has a margin. And in the margin is written a meaning for the word propitiation, which to me is excellent. These are the words. If you go to NIV, it's the bottom of the page in Romans 3.25. And it's there. And these are the words. He turned aside God's wrath, taking away our sin. That is the meaning of to propitiate. The word used here is used once in the book of Hebrews and it's called, translated, interpreted, mercy seat. So what are we seeing? God put a picture in history when he built the tabernacle under Moses, the temple under Solomon. In all of those, there was the Ark of the Covenant, unbroken laws, a wooden box covered with pure gold. Christ had a flesh and blood body. He's now glorified. The law is unbroken. In his heart, there is perfection. Up from the lid of this box called the mercy seat, pure gold, the cherubim who are concerned with the holiness of God look down with their faces to the mercy seat. What's on it? What's on the mercy seat? The blood of Christ. He entered heaven with his own blood. There is mercy with God because the blood tells you the wrath of God has fallen upon another. His life has been given, his blood has been shed, and mercy can now be received. You can come to God because the message of that blood, it speaks better things than that of Abel's. Wrath has been satisfied Mercy is provided. So when Paul writes to Timothy as a believer, and if you're a believer, the words apply. 
grace to you and mercy. Tell me, where are you at in your relationship to God? You should have understood and I trust you have grasped the immensity of it. Grace has come to us by Jesus Christ. Not only grace, God's mercy we have received. I do not look to Jericho as my end. I am looking up. I went down, but now I'm looking up. And he's coming soon. And I'm going to see him face to face. We see through a veil now, dimly. But one day, something which we cannot grasp, we will look on a glorified Saviour whom John felt as dead before and John had leaned on his bosom, the closest heir, one to Jesus, the disciple whom he loved, and he fell as dead when he, Jesus met him. One day, soon, John says, we will look on him. We will look. We have never, no man can see God and live. God said to Moses, you can't see my face and live. But John said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Doesn't yet appear what we're going to be like, but we know when he appears, we will be like him. What's that mean? Your face is going to be changed, your eyes are going to be different colour and all this. No, 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 no. God is dealing with the issue of a glorified body. Will I have hair? <laughs> the whole change that takes place then is for you and me an eternal vessel in fellowship with God. No corruption, no decay, a perfection that we cannot grasp because we live in a mortal world. We just cannot grasp eternity or the quality of the creation for eternity. The immensity of the change that God will effect when the dead in dust in the grave, the dead in Christ, rise. Don't ask me how God puts elements and molecules and atoms together in a glorified body. I have no explanation and neither has anyone else. And by the way, this is an instant and this is in multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people in an instant caught up to meet him in the face to face. Why? Because the body has been changed to make like his glorified body. We will meet him in the air. So, will we ever be with the Lord? Comfort one another with these words. Paul is always referring in Timothy three times, that day, that day, that day. What are you looking forward to? Suffering or that day? <laughs> I trust as we finish and look at these things, your eyes have been turned to the reality of the kind of salvation God has wrought for us in Christ. Remember, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It's been a joy for me to be with you. I appreciate being able to share. Sometimes I wonder <laughs> what I will give you. Not because I haven't got stuff, I've got too much and I've got to whittle it down. <laughs> May God bless you in the days that lie ahead. I have shown to you from the scripture that as far as the truth, the faith is concerned, we are facing difficult times. And we acknowledge that with understanding. But we have a great saviour. We worship a great God. We have a very powerful Holy Spirit. So we are in good hands. God bless you. Thanks so much.